Hello and welcome to Gameology episode 39, The Good, The Bad, The Super Mario Brothers. I am one of your permanent hosts, Matthew Fava, and I'm joined as always by... Attila Gabriel Brunitsky. What a fun topic to talk about. I think that the Mario games we end up taking for granted and a lot of the great... I think people take Nintendo for granted and they just focus on what they're, what they're doing wrong and the strange decisions that they make. But when you go back and you look at this game, first off, it is still fun to this day. I still play this every once in a while. And at the time, it was truly revolutionary, but I was surprised at how well it holds up over the years. This is, this is a game that, um, you know, I have friends that come over every once in a while and maybe they're not into a lot of the modern games. Too many buttons confuse them. They don't like dual stick controls, but they have grown up with these games and they can understand it. So this is Game of Thrones because you can beat it in a few hours and because of the warps that are involved and all that stuff, you can play through it. Yeah, I haven't beaten it. Oh, okay. Now see there, isn't that amazing? <laughs> the game that keeps on giving. One day you will, my friend. I only recently beat Super Mario Brothers 2 and that i think i must have used save states or the saving uh on the super nintendo version that remasters the first mm -hmm. three which is a, a fantastic game too so um did you end up going back and uh sort of revisiting this before we did this podcast or we yeah, talked yeah, about I've, old uh, memories no i've i've got a, a good number of things that i wanted to talk about like in terms okay. of just the overall design of the game like sure. the reason it holds up so well is because it's just a solidly designed game like the level design everything about it is just super tight and like there have been refinements to the mario formula over the years but mm -hmm. like this is the game that really set the bar for what a platformer should be in so many ways yeah there's been i'd say like refinements and, and more like expansion because this is a very tightly constructed game it, it has a sort of um, a pattern that it likes to follow, that it sets up. It's got the the ground levels, the underground, the water, and a castle level, and all the castle mm -hmm. levels are, are pretty much identical. Um, what, this is a spoiler for you, Attila, but in the last castle, you're gonna encounter what seems like a maze. And it's really genius how they, the problem they present to you and the solution is handled by not creating any more assets at all but still making you think and making it very difficult. And it's it's just a, a genius design and, and the use of, of what they had to work with. So what, mm -hmm. let's talk about the level design. What were your thoughts on that? So really the, uh, the level design is just like, it's taking advantage of everything that they create as a, a game element. Mm -hmm. So what I, what I mean by that, uh, these are levels that are constructed out of blocks, uh, blocks that you can break, uh, enemies, power-ups, uh, coins, like there's really not many different elements that go into the creation of any single level. Um, it's just their arrangement that mm -hmm. is like so well constructed. Um, the placement of where the, where you get the power-ups, the uh, hidden blocks, like in an early game, exploring, uh, in, um, encouraging exploration. Yeah. Like just to try and find these blocks, like how else are you gonna actually succeed at this if not for all the extra lives that you end up accruing over time and then getting better and better at the game. So there's just so much about it that's, um, like I said, right from the early days, they are setting the tone for how every other platform should be. And yeah, there were other platformers out of the time. So what I wanted to talk a bit about was like, what really set apart Mario Brothers from the crowd, I guess. Okay. So like other, other people were making platformers in the day uh, and many other people rushed to make platformers after the fact once they saw the success of Mario Brothers. So 
what do you think are some of the things that really set Mario Brothers apart in terms of design? Um, you know, as you were talking about that, I thought, oh, I'd really love to see what other games were coming out that uh, at that time to directly compare. Um, do you happen to have a knowledge of any offhand that had come out at that time? No, I just know that a lot of people, in the same way that any time a successful game comes out nowadays, a bunch of imitators try to hop on the bandwagon and cash in on the success of a, a popular franchise. Right. I mean, I mean, some games at that time were Ghosts and Goblins, um, Ice Climber in terms of platforms, uh, Kung Fu. Yeah, well, those are, a lot of those are Nintendo's own properties. So I, I just mean that like other consoles, other systems, sure. they all tried to create their own mascot-based platformers. Well, right? you the, know, between the Mario and the Sonic, everyone wanted to have a mascot-based platformer. I would say that what Mario really nailed that sort of set the standard was that uh, the feel of of controlling Mario was probably better than than any other game at that time, mm -hmm. and and still remains. It still feels really good. There were a couple very important things that they did. They added uh, mid-air control, which made it a little more yep. forgiving. And kind of, I feel like you connect with Mario a little bit more. Um, and since there's moving platforms and it's a challenging game, it's forgiving and rewarding to the player and it lets you have more, more complex uh, and difficult challenges. Also adding the, the bit of skid that Mario does as you run and sort of stop. He doesn't stop right on a dime if he has a certain amount of speed. When he jumps, he can't stop right on a dime. He's now, got a bit of inertia. Exactly. Now, the inertia gives Mario a sensation of, of weight and of um, he feels a lot more real and a lot more solid. Uh, when Mario has the mushroom, of course, he's a very large sprite. He's very beautiful to look at. These worlds were simplistic, but very, very gorgeous, like giant, like big blue skies fluffy white clouds even though the enemy sprites were very very small they would have these gigantic eyes and mm. that lends a lot to what would be normally a very simplistic character uh character model and i think it lets you see into their soul through the eyes and uh it's just kind of creating this very inviting welcoming world when i think of other older nintendo games and other games of that era i think of them as these kind of cold uh, they weren't very expressive, and they were these dangerous environments. When I think of Super Mario Brothers, I think of a really happy place I want to go in and explore and have a great time jumping around. Okay, well, the, I'm glad that you touched up on a lot of stuff that I didn't even have written down. But, Whoa! Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, there's just that much good to say about Mario. Mm -hmm. uh, so, specifically, I think the one like most significant thing that really set Mario apart from other platformers at the time uh, first of all, the idea that you don't have an attack. This is a game where you can oh, run and you can jump. Yeah. So you can build up your speed and then you can jump higher, you can jump farther. And that jumping has the dual purpose of also being your attack. Right. Like you land on enemies and you crush them in the case of Goombas and in the case of Koopas, you don't crush them. You land on them and they retreat into their shells and then they become your weapon. Mm -hmm. So it's just this like... The in, what makes it so ingenious is just the simplicity of the mechanics and the fact that everything has these two purposes. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, like the run button in Mario is also the button to shoot, to shoot fireballs, um, but that you could let go and press the button without losing your speed. Um, your jump, as I said, is both your means of traversal and your means of attacking things. Right. Um, so even with just like the simple control scheme of left, right, jump and run, you have all these like nuanced controls. Um, you can like duck to go under things. There's all these like 
small things that you start to realize about the controls if you really play with it. Like mm -hmm. on the surface, it seems very simple, but then the more you start to combine these things, the more possibilities you realize are there. So that makes the game really approachable because anyone can understand go left, go right, and jump. And but for the most part, like, go right, whereas this didn't even involve yeah, backtracking at the time. Exactly. It was just very go simple. Go left was just an idea of like avoid that enemy that's about to hit you and then keep going forward. I'm almost surprised that because Japanese writing is written right to left that they didn't start you off from the right and go to the left. I think there was just a sort of... Um, feel that if this was ever going to reach an American audience that they're like there there are so many times where like if you see in an anime they have like English text already written in mm -hmm. like even in the Japanese dub there's English text because they just know like eh the Japanese can read English but the Americans can't read Japanese right, so right. we'll just accommodate those uh, you know people who only speak one language poor mm -hmm. fools um, <laughs> so yeah Koopa's super super great enemy design like the idea that it's something as simple and readable as a turtle that retreats into its shell when you land on it right but then you send it spinning and then like motion is a thing you understand you understand that you bump into something it starts moving and then something moving coming towards you you naturally want to avoid it like it's still an enemy and you can see that you can use this to kill other things but it's dangerous to the player and it can come back and hurt you that, so yeah, that's just, a great thing, is that the rules are consistent. The turtle yeah. will hurt you, so it will hurt the enemies as well. Yeah. So just everything about the design of the Koopa is just ingenious. Like, that, I think, might be... Uh, you know, it's it's certainly not the last of my notes on this game, but it's at the top. of Just, mm -hmm. like, this is something that set Mario apart. Like, it's not just an enemy that you jump on. It's not just an enemy that has multiple hits. It's an enemy that can be used as... Um, something that you have to avoid and as something that you can use to kill other things or break blocks in the environment like there's just so much utility around the koopa that mm -hmm. it's just yeah excellent excellent design and that was actually um, going to be the main the main enemy of the game and uh, miyamoto famously only introduced the goombas because he thought if a new player had never played a video game was going to play this and saw the turtle coming towards them and jumped on it and then it maybe came back to life and bit them you sort of imagine is happening they thought that might be frustrating so they only introduced the goomba as a training enemy just yeah. so that it was one jump on it kill and then we'll introduce the more complex koopa later on yeah it, exactly like this is the the feeling that i had in when i was designing my games is that i want to jump in and create these complex interesting enemies right away i forget how important it is sometimes to make it so that you have simple enemies that can die in one shot like that's mm -hmm. just it's something that you feel like, why are these even here? You know, what's the point? They're just basic, they don't do anything interesting. And yet it's really important just like to let the player, you know, dip their toes in the water and get a feel of like, okay, stuff dies if I shoot it. Mm -hmm. Like if the very first enemy you have in your game has like a regenerating health mechanic or something like that, that's interesting, but it doesn't give the player good feedback of, I need to shoot this thing to make it dead they would have a complete disconnect with that. So mm -hmm. adding Goombas to the game was perfect for that reason. Like they're uh, useful in terms of like getting jumps off of them. Uh, they're still interesting, interestingly designed enemies, but they, they fulfill this necessary and basic role of like the cannon fodder. And even where he places the Goomba in the first level, yeah. is underneath the blocks so when you yep. jump on it to kill it you're going to hit those and you're just gonna struggle well you're gonna accidentally 
find out about how these work. He has a question mark to start off, and then he has the blocks to show you the differences between them, that you can stand on them. He puts a question mark above that, and then he places a pipe right at the end of it with no yeah. pits or anything. Like, and again, the- just... Uh, exploration right yeah what's in every question mark block it's consistent mm-hmm. some of them have coins some of them have power-ups you don't know there's a mystery there's a sense and of it's intrigue. always something good as well yeah exactly it's always something beneficial to the player which is something they changed in the second mario brothers when they had the poison mushrooms right um and then the the pipes the pipes as well also encourage the sense of exploration because you can't go in all of them mm-hmm. you can't go in most of them a lot of them are just decoration but it encourages the player to like try them all out and you end up building this mental map of like oh i can go in this one and there's a whole bunch of coins and i one up hidden in there i can't go in that one so i just just avoid it this one has a piranha plant popping out of it i need to be careful right um there's just again a lot of utility out of each one of these assets like from just being a simple block to being something that an enemy pops out of uh to something that's actually beneficial just uh yeah pipes question mark blocks uh, even the fact that regular blocks, when you break them, sometimes have items in them. Like, mm-hmm. again, just building these secrets into the game. Super uh, great to have that sense of exploration and, like, getting a familiarity with the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's... Um, I, I, I'm not sure if in that first level they have any pits, um, but... Yeah, they do. Okay, like, sort of introduced later on to that level. So you're not able to get past that first level unless you can beat one sort of simple bottomless pit. Right, yeah, you have to clear this. I think the way they actually construct it specifically is they have, you'll recognize the shape of them. They're these sort of uh, two sort of uh, sloped arrangements of blocks, like Mm -hmm. a three, then two, then one slope stack on one side, and then a three, then a two, then a one slope stack on the other side, with a solid platform underneath, so that if you fall between them, it's fine, but ultimately, to clear that challenge, you have to jump from one to the other. Right. And then later, they have that same arrangement of the three, two, one, one, two, three blocks, but now there's a bottomless pit. So you you have, you have understand it's like, okay, just like before, I need to jump from here to here. Like, <laughs> we could spend an entire episode just analyzing every single piece of level 1-1 one, one in Mario. Absolutely. Like, Miyamoto famously did uh, admit that idea of, like, here's the thing, this Goomba, it's coming towards you. If you don't jump over it, you die. So here's the next Goomba, you try to jump over him, you accidentally hit the question mark block above you, and you realize that's a thing that does something in this game. It gives you a power-up. Mm-hmm. The mushroom pops out. The mushroom starts moving. You initially think, oh, moving things, I should avoid those because they look kind of similar to the Goombas. Right. But then there's such a low ceiling that the mushroom falls down, hits a pipe, turns around, starts coming towards the player. Even if you tried to jump over it, you're most likely just going to hit your head again and get the power-up, and you realize... Oh, I'm bigger now. This is helpful. Right. Um, so yeah, that's just that's a thing that Miyamoto has confirmed is like this was intentional. We made it this way on purpose because he's a design god. And uh, and isn't, isn't there the, so much more fun in discovering that with a sense of mystery as yeah. opposed to endless tutorial boxes and annoying yep. characters telling yep. you and holding your hand? It's like Breath of the Wild all over again, where it's fun to find out even very simple things. Just yeah. like we, I think people that play games, a lot of the appeal is that mystery and that discovery. Exactly. So that's, yeah, just one of the absolute best things uh, about the design of just the very beginning of 1 1. Yeah. And then to transition into, like, what, what does this uh, mushroom power up actually mean to you? Well, you can take two hits before you die now. So when you, when you get hit, you become smaller. 
you're smaller, your hitbox is smaller, now it's easier to avoid damage. Mm -hmm. So having health physically represented, represented on the character means you don't need to take your eye away to look at some abstract health bar in the corner of the screen. You know how close you are to dying just based on whether you have a power-up, whether yeah, right. you're big size or whether you're small size. So just that visually represented on the character without the need for an abstract concept of hit points makes the game really easy to read and it means that the the level of challenge is proportional to how close you are to dying. Mm -hmm. You have a large hitbox both when you have a power-up and when you have the mushroom. So that means that you're more likely to take a hit. But then when you become smaller, then your hitbox is like half as big. And it's easy for you it's easier for the player to like fit underneath gaps and other things that uh, prevent them from dying. Like they're not in the sight range of bullet bills anymore. Right. So exactly. just all these things come together towards um, like dynamically adjusting the difficulty just by changing the hitbox size, and it's all linked to the health system. Like hmm. it's crazy. Just it's such good design. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a real it's a masterclass that you can still learn from. I mean, if I think about applying that to a modern game. If a character is shooting bows and arrows, just show the quivers in the, uh, show the arrows in the, you know, in the quiver in the holster. Or I always like a first-person shooter that has the bullet, like a, some kind of maybe a, more of a futuristic game that has like the yeah, bullet like counter right there, or a vibration, or just some sort of sensory thing that makes you not have to look around and, and take your yeah, eyes take off your the eyes action. away from the the cone of like the main center of your vision. Yeah. Uh, what I did when I was designing Zarnok Fortress is I made it so that. Uh, every time the player took damage, their health bar becomes visible directly above the character. Mm -hmm. So that way, you don't have to look at the top of the screen to realize how much health you do or do not have. It's directly above you. And then does it fade uh, away? It, yeah, it fades away. It, mm -hmm. Unless you have only one health, in which case it stays there blinking. Right. Um, I also made it so that the, the, the sprite model itself goes through different damage phases. So you have like normal full health, you have like, and then three distinct uh, like layers of damage sprite layered over top of that. So you can see your character is becoming more and more damaged over time. All of that to try and represent this thing which Mario does by just physically changing the size of the sprite without like, you know, none of that detail and layering and all that sort of stuff. It's just, what does your sprite look like? You can gauge how much health, how many hits you can take just from that. Mm-hmm. Um and this is a game that was built for multiple playthroughs, like many games were at the time, because they weren't as big as a 40-hour action RPG that we would have nowadays with full of side quests. They would make the game very, very challenging. Yeah. Especially, it really, really ramps up as you go later on. Uh, and That's why I still haven't beaten it. And then also including the shortcuts for players that want to play through it, so that you can grab these warps, these two different spots for that, you can get right to the end. I mean, a, a really skilled player that knows what they're doing could probably beat the game in maybe about a half an hour if you... Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what's so great about speedrunning in, in these games when it's really all about the skill involved. Um, and then once you beat the game, there's also a, a new game plus where you can play through again and you don't receive any benefit, but now all the enemies have been upgraded to those uh, little, I think they're called beetle bums or something, and they're the black... Bussy beetles? Yeah, the black ones with the uh, with the hard helmets. So now yeah. all the Goombas have been replaced by them, and the game is a lot more challenging to go through. And it's that's why I'll still return to this game every once in a while, because you can complete it so fast, and because the two-player mode, it's... Um, I, I don't know if... I think I prefer the later Mario's 
Mario 3 especially where the the two players are working cooperatively where mm -hmm. if I complete one level you do the next one and now we've completed yeah, two levels this is a competitive style is, yeah it's like a race exactly which you know it is its own kind of fun and I think builds off of the original Mario Brothers which is a very very competitive game that's the two Marios on the different platforms and hitting the power blocks and all that so I think it builds on that and it's and it's different I prefer the other one but there are some times where it, it is fun to compete with your friend and see, you know, who can get through this game. When somebody dies, you know, that's your chance to make some hay and get past them. Yeah. So I think that, um, like you mentioned, the warp zones. Yeah. I, I like that they're in there, and they had to be in a game where you had no save data. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I feel like um, the main reason I have never beaten Mario Brothers is because I grew up in the age of the internet. I learned about these warp zones. I learned about where to find them, mm -hmm. and then I end up just I end up just skipping huge chunks of the game, and I never get better at it. Right. So right. that's that's my own fault as a player. But if you were to redesign the original Mario Brothers, I would take warp zones out. Okay. Uh, until you had unlocked them, like I'd make it so that the player has to get to world. Uh, one, uh, two, yeah. three, and four before those pipes become active mm -hmm. um, just so that the player is encouraged to actively play through the whole game. Um, the That or making it so that the skill ceiling for discovering the warp zone is much higher yeah. so you actually have to prove I'm actually that good at the game, let me warp ahead to these places. Because mm -hmm. um, it would be much better to just have a save system. Like if, if Mario Brothers had a save system I'd definitely have gotten through it by now. Like just if I were to pick it up on the Wii U, then it would have a save system where at least I could use the save state feature on the Wii U. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of essentially saves coming my way through the game. But if it, if uh, in like in my perfect vision of like what Mario Brothers would be, you'd have to change so little that and take out the swimming levels because, good lord, yes, they wanted to provide variety to the player and create a different set of like gameplay circumstances, but. It's just so much harder to avoid enemies in like yeah. multiple vectors, bloopers specifically. Oh my gosh, those things! Like they're so difficult to avoid. Is, is blooper just because the they have these erratic movement patterns? Yeah, bloopers the squid. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the biggest problem with them is that they sometimes play by different rules. Other times they'll leave you alone if you're on the ground, and other times they just stick right on top of you. And they do have such a fast yeah. speed that. Uh, it's it's the only one of the only times in the game where I feel like I get locked into a spot and I might not be able to progress without trying to where you don't have enough room to sort of lead them off in another way. You know, another enemy that is uh, can be problematic and is actually from the sea are the fish. But when the fish are in the air levels, the land levels, and they're just rocketing yeah. through the air and they're coming at you so fast, it kind of becomes. Uh, I think it takes a skill out of it because you're just really going by luck. It's just it's all yeah, about the angle, and that, yeah, you're just hoping yeah. that you don't accidentally hit them at the right angle. So yeah. those are probably the two big drawbacks, and they're both from the swimming levels initially, at least. Yeah. So that yeah, there's like as I said, shockingly little I would change about the mm -hmm. original Mario Brothers. Were it up to me to create a modern remaster of it, like just a couple tiny tweaks. Um, and I'm not saying you have to get rid of the swimming levels, but just mechanically. It's not something that was as solid as the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're, we'll talk about it more in Mario Brothers 3, how they tackle the swimming levels and make them more palatable. But just in that original game, I don't think anyone is going to jump to the defense of the swimming levels. I think that's pretty a safe, um, a safe thing to say. Like they were not loved by people who otherwise do love the rest of the game. 
Yeah, um, were there some other big points you wanted to tackle well, moving let's forward see here. here? So you talked about Koopas, we talked about the health system, just mm-hmm. ingenious. Uh, the secrets, the warp zones, that's about it. So, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, the good, the very mostly, mostly like 99% good, and then the tiny, tiny little bit of bad that uh, honestly you can't really fault them for at the time because they were doing so much else that was right and they set the bar for what platformers should be and then they went and smashed that record with mm-hmm. Mario Brothers 3 which we'll be talking about in due time and I would definitely recommend anyone who hasn't played the game to go back and give it a shot I'm sure you would as well Taylor based on what you had said oh yeah like I definitely I have it on virtual console I mean to beat it I do my best to try and beat every game that I own which is why Steam sales don't work on me because I don't buy thousands of games that I have never right. going to have the time to complete. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm started getting into that mode too where it's... Summer sales coming soon. Oh my God. Watch your wallets. Watch out, everybody. It'll be out. It'll be over by the time this podcast airs, but you know. Ah, I actually have a list now of games I own, make sure not to forget about. Because I think I logged into GOG and I thought, oh, what? I own all these games? Because I probably bought them for $2 here, $3 there. I need to go back and play them. Um, all right, well, that has been our look at Super Mario Brothers. We'll be, uh, we're going to be covering all the Mario games in the series, I would imagine. We've had a great time doing it so far. We've covered Mario Galaxy 1. We've covered Super Mario 3D World and Mario 64. So we'll have to eventually hit Sunshine. We're going to be doing three next time and then two if you're up for it. I think that that's still a pretty interesting addition. You can find me on Twitter at GameThinkTalk. Uh, you can find my work at a90skid.com. There's an audio version of this podcast on Attila's website, Blue Screen Productions, or you can find it on iTunes. Please leave a review. It means a lot. And Attila? You can also find on my website the uh, submission box for questions, which we will read and answer on the show if we ever get any. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, as Matthew mentioned, reviews on iTunes are super helpful. I see we've gotten a couple there, and it just really feels great to see the positive feedback that we've been getting. So we'll we'll keep making it as long as you still love it, and then we'll probably make a few more after that. Yeah. But uh, you can also find on my website uh, some of my game projects, some of which are free to play. And you can also follow me on Twitter at my personal handle, Attila Gabriel, or at Blue Screen Pro. So thanks a lot for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.